Welcome to Addiction in the Family, episode 49, A Couple's Life Before and After Treatment. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addictions affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. Addiction affected my family tremendously. Uh, it's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction is spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction in the Family, a podcast by and for family members of anyone with an addiction. My name is Casey Ariaga, and I'm a clinical social worker and addiction counselor at both Windmill Wellness Ranch and In Mind Out Emotional Wellness Center. And I'm the author of the books, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions, Spirituality for People Who Hate Spirituality, and the new children's book, Mommy's Getting Sober. My wife, Kira, and I were in our addictions for over 10 years together in a shared recovery for over twice that long. Join us as we offer experience, strength, and realistic hope about how you and your family can find recovery together. In this episode, we talk with Ashley and Tom, a couple who've been together since they were teenagers and lived an addictive party lifestyle for years. When Ashley went to treatment and got sober two years ago, they started to see everything change, and now Ashley works at Windmill Wellness Ranch, the place she first entered recovery herself. They talk openly about how both they and their kids have been affected by all of this, including all the gifts the treatment and recovery have brought them. All this and more after a word from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. I'd also like to let you know that Windmill Wellness Ranch now has a free course available to any family or friends of anybody with any addiction. The course is available at windmillfamilycourse.com. Once you go and sign up for free, you'll get a weekly email pointing you towards blog posts, videos, and podcast episodes that help carry a message of hope. Sign up today at windmillfamilycourse.com. Welcome back. Without further ado, let's have that interview with Ashley and Tom. Okay, so thank you very much for being here on Addiction in the Family. I'm going to ask you both to take a moment and introduce yourself to our audience and let us know what are you doing on a show called Addiction and the Family. Okay, I'll go first. I'm Ashley. I am an addict. I am two years clean, and I work with Casey, and he's asked me to be on this podcast with him. And this is my husband. And I'm Tom, uh, Ashley's husband. I'm here to talk about addiction in the family and answer any questions that you have. Really, I'd like to hear from both of you, just kind of your own side of what was the journey like that got you to this spot here? 
Okay. I mean, I grew up around drinking and smoking weed and drugs were pretty normal in my family, more around my dad. My mom drank and smoked weed a little bit, but then I started doing it myself a whole lot in my teenage years. And then I met Tom when I was a freshman in high school and he actually didn't do a lot of drugs when I met him. Yeah, at all. <laughs> I guess I was kind of a bad influence, but just the people we hung around did a lot of drugs. And it was just the partying high school era. That's what we did. And then once we got out of high school, I'd say that's when we started partying the most. Mm-hmm. We would mostly just drink and smoke weed. We did cocaine anytime it came around. And we would experience with like mushrooms and did X a few times. It was just like whatever was around, we'd do it kind of partying. And then I got pregnant at 19. We had our first baby at 20. I'd like to say that slowed us down, but it didn't really. We were functioning, I guess is what you can say. We were young. We got an apartment. We paid the bills. We both worked jobs, mostly bartending or waiting tables. Mm-hmm. And then he started to go to school for nursing. I was still waiting tables and bartending. We still partied off and on. We got pregnant with our second daughter like three years later. We actually moved around quite a bit. It seemed like, I don't know, we kind of like have new beginnings here and there. And he got a really good job offer in California. And that's when things kind of spiraled for me. We didn't have much family or friends out there. And then COVID hit like not even a year after we moved there. So we had to isolate. We didn't really have much support out there. And I think that's when I got my worst. We were both drinking pretty regularly. And it switched from just like partying to like a lifestyle. I mean, we realized it wasn't working very well in California. We decided to move back home so we could get closer to family and friends. But we started partying again. And we were only back here for about two months when I just pretty much lost my shit. I got way too messed up one day. And uh, we got into a fight. I hit him. And then um, I guess I hit my older daughter as well. And we got into, honestly, I don't remember it. I was in like a blackout phase. And I guess it got so bad that I had taken mixed like Xanax and weed and alcohol and I drowned myself. And it ended up with paramedics coming, the police coming and... When everything was explained to the police, they decided to give me two assault charges and take me to jail. And then I found my way to windmill from there. Thank you so much for talking about that. And I want to really get into your story of recovery as it moves forward. But Tom, I'd love to hear your perspective as a spouse. What was this like for you? Well, this, again, actually stated a lot of different things about how we ended up where we are today. This drinking was just kind of getting out of control. We started just having, you know, like a couple drinks, I would say just about every night. And then it would turn into going from beer to liquor. And I think that's when things got heavy. Not only that, but vodka, putting that in every single thing. You know, we didn't get hangovers and it worked really well. We it didn't cost a lot of money. And in my opinion, when we moved to California for the job, things kind of picked up as far as the drinking goes for both of us and smoking. Yeah, when COVID hit, it was pretty bad. And we just drank even more during that time. And then moving back to Texas, 
the two months that we were here before, you know, we had our little situation that happened, we were again, drinking heavily. We tried to make it to like five o'clock, but as soon as I got done working, we just take a few shots and then, yeah, just heavy, heavy drinking. When the day came where Ashley and I got into a fight, it was a weekday and I had worked the next day. Ashley had been drinking during the day with a friend down the street. And then when she came home, she was kind of drunk, but then like her friend came over and then they kept kind of drinking and got into a hot tub and the hot tub uh, really intensified it. And so, yeah, that night just went to, went to shit. I tried to tell her friends to leave and they didn't want to leave. I was a party pooper. I was kind of ruining the fun. And then we finally got their friends to leave. And then, yeah, things just kind of went downhill from there. There's a lot of back and forth putting each other down to the point where, you know, I just couldn't handle it anymore. But yeah, that was a, that was a really traumatic experience for not just Ashley. She went through a lot that night when police took her to jail, put her in a straight jacket. It was traumatic for me. And, you know, we had all the kids in the house and it was traumatic for them. And I didn't know what to do or how to handle the situation. So looking back, it's a blessing that Ashley's sober and was able to get the outcome that she's gotten from that experience. And I'm very happy that she's sober and things are a lot better with relationships, with reasoning and understanding logic. It's all there. Whereas before it was not. I believe everything happens for a reason. And unfortunately, that was a horrible night for us. But what's come from it was a really positive thing. And I'm glad you're able to speak to that. And so, yes, I was going to ask, since that all happened, how much of the two of you talked about that night and everything going down the way it did? We have talked about it a few times. I mean, when we usually you know, go into the details, it stirs up a lot of emotions. It comes up quite often around my sobriety birthday, because that's also when all this shit went down. I hit my two years two weeks ago, and it was like a bittersweet moment. And I was talking to him about, because he ended up having to go to California during my actual sobriety date. And I was all excited about it. I had all these plans for the whole week. I was going to hit up special meetings and see friends from when I was in rehab and I was just really excited about it, but it's like I put behind me what happened that night, but it also stirred up emotion and brought up feelings for him where he was very supportive and excited for me too. He was kind of sad he wasn't going to be there, but it was also like a reality check, like, man, that shit happened two years ago. And I mean, I could see the like demeanor in his face change from yeah, I'm happy for you to, oh yeah, that happened, you know, and it's still definitely a sore subject when it gets brought up, but I mean, we're able to talk about it freely. We also talk about it with our girls, if anything comes up and it's definitely made us a lot more open and honest in our family. Yeah. And there's something that changed in Ashley after she went to windmill and it's this being considerate of others in so many different ways that I see it. I mean, the small things when she leaves the room, she closes the door softly rather than before. You just slam that door shut. It would be like 6 a.m. It didn't matter. She has this more, I'm going to call it emotional intelligence or this self-awareness. She's able to understand other people's feelings, perspectives. And that I'm very excited about. I'm, I'm glad that worked out the way it did. And but yeah, uh, Windmill Ranch was definitely, um, we did some research. She almost went to a different place that definitely would not have had the same outcome. Uh, that's really cool. So before we move into that, I do want to talk about the treatment experience partly because for our family members, everybody's curious, what's it like to go through treatment? But also a lot of family members kind of want to know what's it like to be a family member while your loved one goes to treatment and you're left raising the kids, all those kinds of things. But I also just want to commend both of you for having that open, honest communication within the family, including with the kids. 
because this is something I'm super passionate about, is being able to talk honestly with kids about it. And far too many people just start by lying to the kids and not telling them what's really going on, mm -hmm. even knowing that addiction runs in families, right? It's partly genetic. And so it's almost like, hey, we know heart disease or diabetes or asthma runs in the family, but we're not going to say anything. We're just going to like gloss that over and, oh, kids, you didn't see what you thought you saw, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So being able to be open and honest is such a positive. Just saying that you guys can talk to each other about it and that you're also talking to the kids about it is just a huge net win in my book. Yeah. I mean, it took, while well, she was in windmill for the time she was there. Yeah. Raising the kids for those two months was challenging. Of course, there was a lot of emotions that, you know, I had to deal with after the incident that happened got them into therapy. It was insane. After the incident happened, Ashley gets taken to jail and I needed to bail her out of jail. I needed to figure out where she was going to go for treatment. All at the same time, I'm trying to process everything that happened and deal with the emotions of teenage girls and, and three, daughters. three daughters. It was, <laughs> it was a lot. I mean, I spent some time crying to myself here and there. I wasn't sure what I was going to do and felt like the family was Okay. broken. I wasn't sure how to fix it. But while Ashley was getting so much help and had so much support at Windmill during those two months, I was in going kind of an upward trend. I was going down emotionally, physically, everything was just, it was hard. When you're looking at it two years later now, how does it feel to look at that and talk about it, Tom? I feel okay talking about it. It does stir up emotions. There's no doubt about that. It's easier to talk about as time goes on. Again, it's, it's always a an uncomfortable topic. And what I try to do is, is manage because these things aren't going away. And let's take a quick break there. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors and then we'll be back with more of our interview with Ashley and Tom. New Year's is an exciting time. Hope feels tangible and possibilities endless. If you have a loved one who has decided to embrace sobriety in 2024, help them reach their goals. Introduce them to Soberlink, the only high-tech breathalyzer system that provides tangible, immediate proof of sobriety for true peace of mind. Scheduled tests improve routine. Device portability offers autonomy. Built-in facial recognition and tamper sensors prevent cheating. And instant test results help foster accountability and trust. Help your loved one commit to reinvention this year. Visit www.soberlink.com family to learn more and receive a $50 off device promo code to share with someone you want to see succeed. Yeah, welcome back. Let's hear more of our interview with Ashley and Tom. Ashley, when you went to treatment, you got a lot of support. Since you've gotten out of treatment, you've got a lot of support. Tom, if I can ask, where have you been getting support through this? I hear you saying we got the kids into therapy. Where have you gotten your help? Um, family, reaching out to my dad, talking to others in my family, just listening to what they have to say about it. And aside from family, I tried one thing that didn't work too well on the phone and through an app, and that was about it. The rest was more of like internal processing and self-reflection, lots of categorize it as self-help. I love it when family is supportive. Not everybody gets that deal, right? Sometimes family just turns your back or walks away or that kind of thing. So I'm glad that you have that. Although I know I've often told family members that one thing you can run into with that is they're emotionally invested in it, which is both a pro and a con. Like they're more likely to be supportive of you. On the other hand, they're likely to have like an opinion. And I don't know your own family history, but family doesn't always have a clear-eyed perspective on what addiction is and how to work with it and stuff like that. 
You might have got lucky on that one. I don't know. But I will say for what it's worth, and it's never too late, I do advocate for family members to get the support of people who understand addiction really well and understand family issues around addiction, but who are not actually directly involved in your family. So some of those groups like Al-Anon, Smart Recovery Family and Friends, Families Anonymous, things like that sometimes can be really helpful. Um, I don't know if you've ever considered any of those, but kind of like I'll say, never too late. If there are emotions that still come up when you look at it, then probably there's some healing that can happen. And I'll also say to your point, and this is partly for you and partly for any of our listeners, the first therapist you meet right out of the gate is not necessarily going to be your therapist. Like you might go see a doctor and be like, oh, all right, you got a medical degree. That's good enough. Therapy is more of a personal relationship. Like you need to feel like you connect with that person. So I'd say to anybody, you know, do a couple of sessions with any given therapist. And if they're not the therapist, they're not the therapist, no harm, no foul. Search around a little bit till you find somebody who is a good fit. My best luck has always come through word of mouth. In other words, talking to someone who said, hey, I saw this person, they were great. So, you know, if you're open to it, I would advocate for it. And really anybody listening to say like, it's worth getting the support. So many times family members will say, well, as long as the person with the addiction gets better, all right, we're all good, good enough. But the reality is, is that often is not good enough to really get that healing. And another side to that, of course, is also that models for your kids that we don't have to just sort of grit and bear it or something like that, that we can in fact say, hey, if I'm struggling, if something's not feeling right, that's what we do in our family now, we get help. We don't drink it away, we don't bury it deep, we deal with it. And actually now I would like to move into the recovery part of your story. Do you mind talking a little bit about what your experience was like being in treatment? Sure. It was great. <laughs> it wasn't great when I first got there, to be honest. I had the choice to go to my mom's or go to rehab, and rehab was definitely the better choice. Honestly, I was terrified of going. I had this, like, I don't know. I just thought it was going to be a bunch of crazy people, like, running around, stealing stuff, stabbing people. Just, I don't know. I just was scared of rehab. And... I was also 100% deaf when I got there. That was really scary because I also don't know sign language all the way. I know like little sign language and I know the ABCs, but I really had no form of communication. I had no desire to really participate because I couldn't hear. I was also detoxing. I was confused and I didn't know exactly what had happened to get me there. It was definitely the lowest point of my life. My biggest saying now is rock bottom is a blessing. And that's because it took me being at windmill and detox to just completely surrender. I had gotten down, broken down, bawling, and was just like, God, either take my life or help me. And I had my aha moment in detox. I found God. It was like once I got past the feeling sorry for myself and got my ears better and could hear a little bit, I got my hearing aids finally. Everything started coming together and everyone was really nice and supportive there. I don't even know how to explain how amazing Windmill was. Like I got therapy. I got to figure out who I was and why I was like I was. I got to just experience and go through things that I didn't know I needed to, but I wouldn't change it for the world. We did process groups weekly. And one of the hardest, but yet best process groups that we did, we buried the old me. And I had to write a eulogy as if I was Tom 
and I had died that night. And that, and then I had to read that to my whole process group and some of the employees and all of the clients. And we did a whole funeral service for me to bury the old me. And I had to read that eulogy as if I was Tom and I had died that night. And that was insane. It was, it was powerful. And then I had to write another eulogy as if I was my oldest daughter. If I died 50 years later and what I would want her to say about me. And I remember that every day. And I strive to be that person that I wrote that I thought my daughter would want me to be. Mentally is more what we worked on than the actual like getting over drugs and stuff. Because I think in addiction, you feel like it's the alcohol or the weed or whatever your DOC is, is what's bringing you down and messing you up. But I think people just use that to cope and think they're fixing it when they're making it worse. But really, it's about fixing yourself internally. I love that idea of I could either go to my mom's or I could go to treatment. Uh, yeah. I've seen family members say like, well, you know, maybe we'll just fix it at home. And I kind of think it's like saying, I know I need heart surgery. Should I go to the hospital or should I see if my dad can do it? <laughs> it's like, see a professional. There's a reason that people went to school for this sort of thing. And there's a reason that families often maybe decide they're going to try and fix it themselves out of shame or we don't want people to know or I have to be the one to put on the cape and save my loved one. Yeah. But the reality is most of us are not in that position. I mean, I, I do this for a living. I feel like I'm pretty good at my job. But if my kid was in trouble, I'm not going to be like, oh, honey, we'll just fix this at home. I'm like, no, you need to go talk to some people who are not me. Like, I may even have the message of recovery you need to hear, but you can't hear it from me. Right. You're going to have to hear it from somebody who's not me. Ashley, you came out of Windmill. What have you done in your recovery since then? It's just who I am now. It's how I survive and how I strive. So I got out of Windmill and found a home group here in Kyle. I belong to Narcotics Anonymous and I absolutely love it. When I was in Windmill, I did AA and SMART and I love those programs too. I did all 12 steps of AA in Windmill. But then when I got out and I joined Narcotics Anonymous and got a sponsor, I had to start over. And it's a lot longer process in NA to do the 12 steps, but I completed them. Um, I'm actually about to start them again. I'm going to do the January 1st challenge where you do a step a month and it takes a full complete year. And really excited about doing it, which is funny because it's something you don't really look forward to. You don't think you would, you know, but I'm really excited to do it. I'm going to get one of my sponsors to do it with me too. So I sponsor, I go to meetings regularly. I work in recovery now. I am a wellness advocate and I am working on becoming a recovery coach. I got my RSPS certification back in September. I love it. I love being able to help others. And before I was kind of lost, I really thought I'd be a bartender for the rest of my life. So to be able to be in the recovery side of things for work, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Yeah, very passionate about it. And that's what I love seeing is how much joy she gets from helping others. And yeah, I don't know. It's something that I see it at home. I see her just, she's always positive. And even when things get negative, she finds ways to turn it around. She's learned a lot 
I don't know how many sponsees that she has or has had, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to hear from a distance how she's working with these individuals. Like, it's inspiring and it's motivating and it's great to be around. It's the complete opposite of what I was before, too. Like, I, I know it's hard to believe, but I was a bitch and I was my way or the highway and I was very negative and self-centered and... Dominating. I don't know how else to put it besides like everything was me, 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 my way. And yeah, I was a bitch if it wasn't. So there were challenges in our marriage because of these things. And since Ashley's been to a windmill and learned a lot about herself, I don't know, it's just changed for the better. And I think it's made our relationship stronger. I know it has. Yeah. And that seems like a great place to take another break and hear from another one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll hear the rest of the interview with Ashley and Tom. Among our sponsors, the most important one is you. We are so grateful for your support in our mission to help people with addiction and their families find recovery. Here are some ways you can help. I have a website at caseyauthor.com where you can find all the various ways I'm working to spread a message of hope for anyone struggling with addiction and anyone who loves them. There you can find videos, interviews I've given on other people's podcasts, information on my books, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions, Spirituality for People Who Hate Spirituality, and my newest book, Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's book that also includes a guide for caregivers on how to talk to kids about addiction. All three are available on Amazon and other retailers as both paperback and ebook. If you have read them, please tell a friend or anyone you think might be helped by their message. There's also a link to help support us on Patreon.com. Your subscriptions help make all this possible. If you'd like to become a subscriber, visit Patreon.com and look up Addiction and the Family. Thanks again. We couldn't do this without you. And welcome back. Let's have the rest of that interview with Tom and Ashley. I love that contrast between I was going to be a bartender for the rest of my life <laughs> Now I'm looking to be a recovery coach. So I was going to spend the rest of my life getting people drunk, but now I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting people sober. Exactly. I'm, I'm a very all or nothing person. That hasn't changed about me. <laughs> so Ashley, I need to warn you of something, though. So you went and got your recovery coach certification. Once you've done that, it's hard to not have that thought. Well, you know, if I went back to school and got my associate's degree, I could be a licensed chemical dependency counselor. But once you have that associate's degree, then you're kind of thinking, how hard would it be to get my bachelor's? Mm -hmm. Maybe get my master's degree. I'm going to go be a social worker, therapist. I'm just letting you know that's how these things happen. Yeah. So I got to ask, going back for a moment to the night where everything blew up. Actually, you looked back from that night and said, plant the flag. That's it. I'm sober from here on out. Tom, how about you? Did you stop at that point? Um, I did for about a day or two. And that's about it. And then I went right back to uh, drinking and, and doing what I wanted to do. During those two months where she was gone, I felt like I had a little bit more freedom. If I wanted to have a drink, I didn't have to worry about someone telling me to do it or not to do it or how many is not okay and so on. So I had, uh, say, complete control, but um, I was definitely not in complete control. Uh, a lot was going on. You know, while she was in there, I, I recall, you know, like, oh, well, she's going to come back and live in the house and there can't be any drugs or alcohol. I know, I know we know no alcohol in the house. And I was desperate for her to come back. Just I needed the help with the kids. I needed help with myself. I wasn't able to do this on my own. So I got her to come back home telling her that, you know, yeah, I'll get rid of all the, the weed and the alcohol. When I wanted to have a drink, I, you know, I decided, all right, fine, I'll go leave the house. I'll go have a drink at a bar somewhere and then I'll come home. That way it's not around you. 
And we hit a really hard point during that time of like, how can I be around you when you're drinking or smoking when I'm in recovery and all of this stuff? And we had, I think, one or two incidences, maybe more of us kind of arguing about it, getting in fights about it. But what helped a lot was open and honest communication. We were able to talk to each other on a different level than we ever had before, trying to understand each other better so that we can support each other better, not just support for Ashley and recovery, but support for me as a man, as a husband and a father. And we made compromises. And because we were able to make compromises and it wasn't someone coming to me and saying, hey, if you don't do this, then that, because that would have just made it worse. We've been able to work together, communicate really well and, and open about what is okay and what's not okay. And we've set boundaries. I feel like we've set boundaries. I don't know, we haven't really written down those boundaries, but we have boundaries and I'm aware of what those are and what I can and cannot do. As me too. And so does Ashley. It was a very rough patch in the beginning. And when I say in the beginning, I want to say the first like three to six months, three to six months was rough. We tried marriage counseling, but we are not marriage counseling. We've tried marriage counseling more than once. We've been together 20 years and we've probably gone to three, three and all three were misses. It was not good at all. It just turned our world upside down. When we hit something rough, we know that it's time to put on our, our, I was going to say big girl panties, but adult faces and we communicate like he said we'll sit down and have heart to hearts till the sun comes up until we agree and figure out what's going to work we just continue to talk through it and get through it yeah i mean being reasonable during the communication is really big because i know when someone has they want to make a point they want to make a statement i'm right it has a different effect during the communication so being able to admit that i'm wrong about something and see that and acknowledge that I think that's a big part of the communication because I know I'm doing something wrong and I can say that out loud that I'm doing something wrong and I need to do something about it. And I think that's really important because I look to her and she can do the same thing. She can say, okay, well, I was doing this wrong and this is what I'm going to do to be different about it. Yeah. I think also my perspective on being a wife and being in a relationship changed a lot being in therapy and being at windmill because I realized like I'm not in control of him. I'm not in control of anyone but myself. We were so codependent. And yeah. I mean, we literally grew up together. He chased after me in high school and he got me. And then it was like, that was our roles in our marriage too. And then when I came out of Windmill, it was like, we can't do that. I realized how toxic and codependent we were. And a big thing in recovery is you have to put your higher power and your recovery first. And my higher power before Windmill was Tom. (laughs) I literally wake up every morning and devote the first hour or so of my day to setting my head straight and remembering and and staying focused on my higher powers way, not my way. I'm not in control and putting my recovery first. Beautiful. I so appreciate everything you guys have been sharing. What I'd like to do is ask you each to think for a moment about what would you want to say to families out there about being a couple going through this journey of addiction and recovery, what would you want to go back and tell your younger selves before you found a solution? I was going back to communication, making sure that you're open and honest during the conversation, perhaps having a mediator of some sort. That's, I think, sometimes where you're able to be even more open without worrying about the reaction. Setting boundaries, 
but also making compromises. There's many times I think Ashley could have just been like, nope, this isn't going to work. I'm out. And I would have respected that. And I still do. I respect her for any decision she wants to make that puts herself as number one, you know, the most important person. And I'm trying to do the same for myself because if I can't take care of myself, can't take care of anybody else, especially my kids. And that applies to Ashley as well. And, you know, her morning routines get her on the right track every single day. And I mean, she hasn't missed a day. So I'm very proud of her. Ashley, what would you want to say? I would want to say, believe in yourself. I struggled with addiction most of my life. I really, truly did not think it was possible. You know, you can do it. I didn't think I could do it. I know I tried to do it on my own for the past at least 10, 15 years. It just got worse and worse. So don't try to do it on your own. Seek help and just work some kind of program. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it works for you. And put yourself in your recovery first. If I can add to that, I think it's important to not just focus on the substance abuse, but also the mental state that I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, you can stop drinking you can or doing drugs, whatever it is that they're um, addicted to. But if your mind's not in the right place, you don't have like coping skills or ways to deal with hard situations or even having a support network. I think it's a multifaceted like approach. There's many things that need to be considered, not just the substance. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Casey. I think this went very well. I think so, too. So thank you both. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for being with us through another episode of Addiction and the Family. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about addiction to the family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addictioninthefamily at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga with music by Casey.